Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, podcast listeners. So the other day, Mango and I were remembering that bizarre crime story from a couple of years ago, where a guy in Chicago decided to stick it to Subway twice. Now, first, he walked into Subway and holds the place up at knife point. And after he's done getting the money, he decides he's, you know, too hungry to run for it just yet and maybe needs a sandwich first. But instead of just getting them to fix him one at Subway, he just walks across the street to a potbelly. How convenient. And that's where he still was eating his sandwich when the police arrested him. So you might think we're going to do today's episode on nine things about ridiculous crimes or something like that. But no, we're hungry, too. So today's episode is our nine favorite facts about sandwiches. Let's get started. You're listening to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikater, and the man on the other side of the soundproof glass, making us all jealous with a couple of giant sandwiches, which he insists we call hoagies for some reason, is our friend and producer Tristan McNeil. That's impressive, Tristan. Now, today's a little bit different because in our previous Nine Things episodes, we've been joined by our lead researcher, Gabe Luzier, but Gabe's on vacation this week, and actually so is Mango. But Mango is nice enough to hop on the phone with us from Portland. Hey there, Mango. Hey, how's it going, Will? How's the weather out in Portland? Rainy. Rain. That sounds about right. <laughs> All right. Well, as you know, in Gabe's place and, and actually in studio here with me is, is one of our How Stuff Works all-stars and the host of Food Stuff, Lauren Vogelbaum. Welcome, Lauren. Hi. Thank you. This is your second time on the show with us, isn't it? Yeah. The, this I came back. You came back. We're glad you came back. <laughs> I'm glad to be back. Thanks thanks so much for inviting me. You ready to talk about sandwiches? Oh, I'm so ready to talk about sandwiches. It just seemed appropriate to have you on to do this. So so let's get started now. Now, Mango, because I've got a bet here with Lauren over which sandwich you're going to talk about first, I thought I'd let you kick it off. So so why don't you get us started? Sure. 
then, of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about the PB&J, my favorite sandwich ever. Actually, so, I'm wrong. I thought you were going to talk about the grilled cheese. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's all yours. Go for it. So one thing I love about peanut butter is that it used to be this delicacy served at upscale tea rooms. And I, I'm sure you know this, Lauren, but it was never really served with jelly. So, like, they had peanut butter and pimento sandwiches or peanut butter and lettuce or peanut butter and watercress. That was a hot item. I did not know that, and I'm disturbed. Oh, okay. <laughs> Please go ahead. No, but according to the National Peanut Board, the first actual reference to the PB&J was from Julia Davis Chandler in something called the, uh, the Boston Cooking School Magazine. And this was way back in 1901, and she recommended using crab apple jelly, which apparently the kids didn't love. <laughs> but the sandwich didn't actually catch on until World War II when it was used in military ration menus. But then it took off with vigor, and uh, with a combination of sliced bread, it made making sandwiches easy, and, you know, kids could assemble them themselves, which made them ubiquitous. But I think the best thing I learned about PB&J is that grape jelly also used to be called grapeolade, just like marmalade. Oh. Nice. I did not know that. So so the PB&J caught on here, much like Spam caught on everywhere else in the world because of the war. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Or perhaps a Vegemite or Marmite. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's a good first fact. Lauren, you want to tackle the next one? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I, I wanted to tackle the question of whether or not a burrito is a sandwich. It's a big question and something we should tackle. We, I mean, this is extremely cut, cutting-edge sandwich science that we're talking about here. <laughs> it, it's actually a legal distinction in most places. Uh, there was this court case from 2006 in which a Massachusetts judge declared that legally – Burritos and tacos. Neither are sandwiches. Whoa. Yeah. Um, that's that's Panera versus Cadoba. Am I saying that right? I've never known. I always said Qdoba, but Q-doba? I don't actually know. I probably should have looked it up. Yeah. That's okay, though. Uh, so, okay. So, so Panera was trying to stop Cadoba from renting in this one shopping center in Massachusetts because the Panera in question was operating under a sandwich exclusivity contract. That means that no one else could make sandwiches too near to their sandwiches. Right. But the judge ruled against Panera. They were like, no, I just used this dictionary and this common sense that I have. And it's not a sandwich. And that's ridiculous. It's not a sandwich. Okay. Well, I've, I've actually got another big one that's perfect because I didn't know we were going to be – we should do a separate episode on things that are not sandwiches apparently because you know what else is not a sandwich? <laughs> what? A hot dog. And that's my first fact. Now, I know that a hot dog is meat stuck in between bread. Makes it sound so appetizing, doesn't it? <laughs> But here, look, I've got an official press release from the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council. Did you know this existed? Uh, No. Yes. And here's what this press release from a couple of years ago says. It says, our verdict is a hot dog is an exclamation of joy, a food, a verb describing one showing off and even an emoji. It is truly a category unto its own. And it is not. It is not a sandwich. But not a exclamation of joy. Not a sandwich. Not a sandwich. Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. That's a little bit existential, but, I, but I'm but i into it. So there you go. All right, Mango, <laughs> what's your next fact? Uh, so I actually am playing the type here, and it's on grilled cheeses. I so, knew it. Uh, I actually decided to look up the most expensive sandwich, and this restaurant, Serendipity Tree, came up. Like, I, I'm not sure if you're 30 Rock fans, but do you remember when Jack Donaghy went out this super luxurious Sunday that had to be ordered in advance for Valentine's Day? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They were mocking Serendipity's $1,000 opulent Sunday. But um, if you're not looking to spend quite that much, the restaurant (laughs) also makes this 
$215 quintessential grilled cheese, which is, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the world's most expensive uh, sandwich. <laughs> it's actually it's actually built on a champagne bread made with Dom Perignon. It has uh, 24 karat gold flakes. It uses truffle butter and a rare cheese, and it comes with a South African lobster tomato bisque just as a dipping sauce. And also you have to order it 48 hours in advance. And that's because they want all the ingredients to be assembled fresh. And as any billionaire will tell you, uh, you don't want any old gold on your grilled cheeses. Wow. I wonder if it's one of those you just can't go back once you try. You're like, I can settle for nothing less than a $200 grilled cheese from now on. (laughs) I think that's right. That is an incredibly expensive sandwich. All right. Well, Lauren, what you got? I I hate to one-up you, Mango, but I I have a more expensive sandwich. A more Uh, expensive sandwich than a $214 grilled cheese? Okay, there was this one time that NASA spent almost $3 million on a sandwich. (laughs) That's more than $214, yeah. It's a couple, it's, it's, you know, a little bit of spare change more. Yeah, okay, so so, so back in 2016, this uh, British TV personality-type chef uh, by the name of Heston Blumenthal developed a bacon sandwich, the simple British bacon sandwich, but for space. Right. And, uh, and so in doing this, um, he, uh, he, he had to uh, get away for it to go in a can for like food safety purposes mm-hmm. so that they can irradiate it properly and um, specifically design it to hold up in low gravity so that, you know, the crumbs of the sandwich won't float all around and get into the equipment and right. ruin everything. Um, he, he designed this for, uh, for Major Tim Peake, uh, another British fellow who was going up to the ISS. It took him two years to create the sandwich, two years, and uh, over two million uh, pounds, about three million bucks, between the cost of development and then actually transporting the thing. Wow. That is unbelievable. So almost $3 million for this sandwich. Yeah, uh, but uh, but but Peak liked it. He he reordered, like, next supply run. He was Sounds like, yeah, more of this baby It was worth it, stuff. yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. could have spent, spent more. Is it cheaper in bulk? Like, if you, if you order two, do you get a discount on the second? There's another $3 million sandwich. Uh, well, I, I guess the price drops the more that you send up there. I mean, although you know, it, it costs anywhere from, from like seven grand to maybe like 12 grand to send a pound of stuff to the ISS. So uh, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that's impressive. Well, this is weird because we started out your, your first fact I followed with a similar fact about what's not a sandwich. Well, I also have a NASA sandwich fact. Okay. Ooh. And this one comes from. Uh, the middle of the Gemini 3 mission in 1965, astronaut John Young. Oh, is this the sandwich smuggler? Yes, ah. he pulled out a corned beef sandwich. Now, not only that, but this came from a place called Wolfie's Restaurant and Sandwich Shop in Cocoa Beach. But this was attached to a Ramada Inn. So if you're going <laughs> to smuggle a sandwich into space from the sandwich shop attached to the Ramada Inn, it seems like the obvious choice, it's right? It's not like Katz's Deli or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Well, like, okay. But as you pointed out, they, this, it didn't hold together well. These sandwiches in space, they start breaking up. And so the other astronaut next to him, Gus Grissom, starts worrying that it's going to start floating away, the crumbs, and get into all that ventilation system and things like that. And so... He grabs this and puts it in his pocket. Now, this whole thing went down in a total of like 10 seconds. And so you'd think, okay, that happened, no big deal. But it actually sent several of the congressmen into a tizzy. They were really ticked off that they'd spent these millions of dollars. And now we know it was almost $3 million to develop these sandwiches going into space. And instead, this guy was smuggling in his own corned beef sandwich into space. (laughs) However, one of my other favorite things about this is you fast forward 16 years, and the first time corned beef was officially added to the flight menu, 
It's when Commander John Young, same John Young, was leading this mission into space, and they added this sandwich to it. Oh, so dude. comes full circle. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, dude just bought some corned beef in space. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can actually see this sandwich if you go to the Grissom Memorial Museum <laughs> in Mitchell, Indiana. It's actually encased in acrylic. So you can go check this sandwich out. Pretty cool, huh? And is that exhibit sponsored by Ramada Inn? It probably is. It should be. All right, so we got one last fact each. Mango, your turn now. What you got? So uh, this is about Wonder Bread. And in the late 1950s, Wonder Bread did a couple of things to shake up their business. They started putting their bread in cellophane and invited users to throw away their bread boxes, which actually kind of worked. But one innovation that didn't take off was their idea for round bread. Mm-hmm. Like abandoning their usual loaf, Wonder Bread started making this circle-shaped bread that perfectly fit your fried eggs or hamburgers or even your bologna. And they marketed it as, quote, the best thing that ever happened to sandwiches, which was <laughs> such a true statement <laughs> that they had to quickly discontinue the bread. Oh, oh that's sad. I feel like Wonder Bread is best shaped in like a really tightly compressed ball. For some reason, I always had that desire with like Wonder Bread, squishy bread to like oh, yeah. squeeze it together and then just make this tiny little ball like and weird then eat pellet. that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's more like a, a, more Wonder like a sculpting play. A Wonder a Ball. Wonder ball. Oh. I like it. All right. I that's a good, a good last fact there, Mango. All right, Lauren, your last fact. What you got? All right. Uh, so, so speaking of, of of sliced bread and Wonder Bread stuff like that, um, the, uh, the the history of sandwiches does owe a lot to the invention of bread slicing machines. But for a brief period of time, sliced bread was banned in the United States. Oh no! Why is that? It was 1943. The war was on. <laughs> um, we, we all had this accent very suddenly. The head of the War Foods Administration, one Claude R. Wickard, uh, in a probable attempt to conserve resources decided to ban sliced bread. Uh, this was for a few possible reasons. Uh, the, the the cost of wax paper to wrap it because cellophane hadn't really caught on yet. Um, uh, also, the cost of flour and bread were on the rise. Uh, you know, since sales of bread had increased when, mm-hmm. uh, when pre-sliced bread became available, he figured that maybe, you know, doing away with sliced bread would make, you know, the demand drop and therefore even out the prices better right. for the consumer, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, since a bread slicing machine takes up a lot of steel, conserve the supply of steel, very important. Okay. Um, none of these were really good reasons, though. And there was such a public outcry that he lifted the ban in less than two months. Wow. It didn't take long. People need their sliced bread. <laughs> People need their sliced, sliced bread. Yeah. There was a terrific article in the New York Times. The headline was, Sliced Bread Put Back on Sale, Housewives' Thumbs Safe Again. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. All right. Well, speaking of controversy, I wanted to end with uh, with the fact as well. Something else people cannot live without is their fluffernutter sandwiches. <laughs> so this was a weird court battle from a little over a decade ago. Fluffernutter versus Massachusetts State Senator Jarrett Berrios. OK, so we're talking about one where <laughs> this senator realized that his kids were eating these fluffernutter sandwiches every single day at school. I can imagine being a little frustrated with that as a parent sure. to realize that. But maybe not taking it to the level that he did. He decided he was going to try to pass a law against serving these things in schools. Well, this didn't sit well with certain other senators. And so there was a state representative, rather, Kathy Ann Reinstein. And she was so opposed to this legislation that she planned to, quote, fight to the death for the fluff. And so she even supported legislation that would make the fluffernutter the official state sandwich. So I don't think that has happened just yet, 
But uh, but fortunately for the fans of the Fluffernutter, Senator Berrios's attempt failed, and that law did not go through. So these children are still able to eat their Fluffernutters. Oh, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good to hear. Yeah. I'd hate to hear anyone denied. Denied a Fluffernutter, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And I feel like we should probably make sure everyone understands what a Fluffernutter is. But oh. you know what? I feel like maybe we shouldn't. We should oh. just leave it there. I don't know. Go for it, Lauren. Well, uh, I, I do. I have a bonus fact about the Fluffernutter. What's that? It was originally called the Liberty Sandwich. The, uh, why is that? Uh, because it was saving on lunch meat. You know, like like if you if, if you're if you're in wartime, if you're trying to save resources, yes. it's uh, more it's less expensive and uh, still you know it's got some peanut butter in there. It's, it's yes. nutritionally stable ish. Peanut Ask- butter and marshmallow, right? Fluff, yeah, fluff and yes. freedom and, fr- and freedom <laughs> and freedom. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, I feel like some of my facts were pretty good. However, I think the play of the day was definitely when Lauren won up to Mango with the most expensive sandwich. So. <laughs> Mango, I know you're on vacation having a good time, but I really do feel like we have to give the uh, PTG trophy to Lauren on her first visit as as part of a fact-off guest. What do you think? I think so, too. All right. Congratulations, Lauren. Thank you guys so much for listening today, and we'll be back with a regular episode tomorrow. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.